You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hello and salutations, squires, scavenging and sifting for science and scintillating stuff. You're listening to Good Job Brain, your weekly quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. This is episode 107, and I am your humble host, Karen, and we are your excited exclaimers excavating excellent eggs, because it's Easter. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. So as we sit here recording, uh, it is Easter, and speaking of Easter, always makes me think of Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. Uh, a friend of mine uh, passed along a, a tidbit of info to me the other day that I, I had not realized before. Do you guys know what the origin is of the term Easter egg as it applies to you know video games oh. or movies or a, a, meaning a hidden bit of information for the or for like the, a hidden reference yeah. or a gem in I movies or do shows? Not. Dana, it's not just like oh Your Easter egg hunts. hunts. No. It, no, like, where was it first used? Right, right, oh, yeah. How did somebody put no. two and two together? Okay. It dates to the Rocky Horror Picture Show, the <laughs> the cult classic uh, horror spoof movie from the uh, 1970s. And during the filming of the movie, uh, they were apparently, the cast and crew were hiding a- actual Easter eggs oh, really? around the set of the yeah. film. It was kind of just a fun little thing to do on set. Huh. And when you watch the movie... They're still there. Some of them are still visible <laughs> in various <laughs> scenes of the movie. Yes. And huh. so we tried verifying this. The best example is is Frankenfurter's throne at the bottom at the kind of crisscross stability beams of mm-hmm. the throne. Uh-huh. There's a it's not color, it's just a normal egg <laughs> and you can totally see it from the movie. <laughs> Man, I love finding and reading about Easter eggs yeah. in movies and shows. Disney obviously mm-hmm. lots of examples, they have a lot of cameos. Pixar really up the game. But the best one I found today when I was researching, I didn't know this and I had to ask Colin because I know Colin's a big fan of Fight Club, the movie and the book. Yeah, yeah. Chuck Palahniuk. <laughs> Palahniuk. I believe he says Palahniuk. 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 In the movie, David Fincher, right? Yeah, yeah. David Fincher movie, Fight Club, uh, starring Edward Norton and Brad Pitt. In every scene, there is a Starbucks cup. In hmm. every scene. Every, every scene? scene. We're like, oh, is that every what? shot? Mm-hmm. Not every frame. Not every frame. Okay. Every yeah. scene. Every scene, Got there it. is a hidden Starbucks cup. Huh. I have not noticed that. I know! Yeah. There's some yeah, that are but... really overt, which is like someone who's actually drinking coffee, but like, you know, right. there'd yeah. be one on the ground in a pile of trash. <laughs> That is awesome. That is so weird. I usually notice when they're drinking like a brand name soda or they they ordered from somewhere. I just never noticed the Starbucks. Starbucks coffee cup. Mm. Look for it. All right. Without further ado, let's jump into our first trivia segment. Pop quiz, hot shot. And you guys have your barnyard buzzers. And I have a random trivial pursuit card. All right. Blue Wedge Geography. What is the only U.S. state whose name can be typed on just one row of letters? I'm looking at your keyboard. No, no, I'm cheating. No, no. Oh, okay. Oh, oh. I think I, I think I just saw it. Chris. Um, no, I'm wrong. Okay, uh, uh, Colin. Is it Ohio? Incorrect. No? No? Dana. Okay. Uh, I'm to see. one row. So not yeah. one hand. <laughs> Stop Iowa. looking at the keyboard. I'm looking at. I already got it wrong. Connecticut. We're excluded. It is. Alaska. Oh, okay. All right. Pink Wedge for pop culture. In 1997, who copyrighted how you could write his name? (laughs) Oh. Uh, 
Chris. Prince. Yes. The artist formerly known as Prince. The artist formerly known as a symbol. The artist currently known as Prince. <laughs> the fine print. The design first seen as an album title in 1992 was officially called Love Symbol Number no. 2. Ah, sure. During the time that he was going by the symbol, he played uh, a dead body in the movie Fargo. Uh, and so if you look at the, the credits, it's like... I think it's like victim lying in field, and then it has a little symbol. The little symbol. Oh, yeah. that's like an Easter egg. That is like an Easter egg. <laughs> All right, Yellow Edge. What crayon color did Crayola rename Peach in 1962? <laughs> Flash. Oh, everybody. Flash. 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 Fine print here. The decision was spurred in part by the civil rights movement. Yes. <laughs> Believe so. it or not, yeah. Yeah. not every person has the same color flesh. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Wow. They didn't know that until yeah. the 1960s. Purple Wedge, Leroy Brown, Idaville's greatest detective, <laughs> is better known by what nickname? Encyclopedia Britannica. Oh, Only Brown. his parents and teachers call him Leroy. And, and his muscle, Baddest Sally. man in the right? whole yeah. damn town. Yeah. His bodyguard. <laughs> Which was actually t- Sally, technically. Yeah. The, yeah. She would punch oh. you right in the face. Sally? <laughs> Sally. Oh, Sally did a lot yeah, of punching. Yeah, she'd just punch you right in she the face. She cut right to the chase. Nothing. Yeah, she yeah. really did. Was there ever any romantic undertones? No. No, no. no. They're just childhood friends. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. They're exactly. just buddies. It's yep. innocent. Ooh, fan fiction. I know. High school. How come they never made that into a movie, Encyclopedia Brown? Oh, they did. They did? Of course they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Reboot. DVD. Yeah, we should but... reboot with yeah. some CG. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, they updated Archie comics to the modern world. I think they could update yeah, Encyclopedia like Brown. Yeah, but Brown solves crimes. A lot of this information can just be simply looked up right mm, then and there. That's true. Mm-hmm. My alibi is on Twitter, said Bugs. All 150 characters of it. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Twitter only has 140. You're the culprit. <laughs> Anyways, all right. Green Wedge for science. What's the American name for the food called brinjal in South Africa? Mm. How do you spell that? Yeah. B-R-I-N-G-A-L. There's mm. another part of this question, but I think okay. that gives it away. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, I'll say it anyways. We're yeah. kinda, we're kinda, I would like yeah. the whole clue, please. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> the whole question, not even clue. Yeah. Uh, and an aubergine in Britain. Dana. Eggplant. Yes. Oh, okay. Eggplant. Aubergine. Aubergine. All right, Orange Wedge, last question. What is Subway's trademarked job title for the person ah. who makes your sub? Oh. Uh, Colin. They are the Sandwich Artist. Yes. Mm-hmm. Artist formerly known. <laughs> sandwich <laughs> Artist formerly known as Leroy. <laughs> Good job, guys. And I have a Lobe Trotter tidbit here. Lobe Trotters are fan club members who bought a fan club pack last year. And this one is from Alan, and they get to write in little uh, cool trivia tidbits and questions for us. And he printed it on the card. Yes, printed and taped. Awesome. Huh. Which is a... Uh, I like the diligence. Very nice. Yeah. And I picked this one because today is Easter, so this is a, a biblical fact. Okay. Mm-hmm. The longest word in the Bible mm-hmm. is the name... So it's someone's name, not sure. like a normal word. Okay. Mahir Shalal Hash Baz. 18 letters. Okay. okay. Longest yeah. name. And there are, in the King James Version, there are... 773,692 words. Oh, okay. This is a tiebreaker yeah. question. If you go to Pub Trivia, oh, yeah. 
and they ask you a ridiculous question where you're trying to get the closest. 773-692. Words in... Words the, in the King James Okay, Bible. that is good. That is a good one to file away for the tiebreakers. Yeah. I can't even think of a mnemonic. 777, seven, seven, seven. almost. Okay. Almost three quarters, three quarters of a million. Of a million. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. Trinity. Three quarters of a million. Well, we'll try to, try to remember that. All well, right. thank you, Alan. That was a good tidbit. All right, so today's show actually has nothing to do with Easter. It has a lot to do with um, one of my favorite activities, which is spending money. Hooray! Yeah. <laughs> I, want to, I, I don't know. I, do you guys like spending money? I like spending money. Yeah! There's something about buying things that does make me feel good. It just puts oh, you I, I feel bad. I feel bad for at, thinking at that. Peace. No, it's yeah. no, it's, that's a real thing. Yeah, that's absolutely. When I absolutely. feel blue, I buy something for myself. Be like, yeah. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so today's episode, uh, this week, we're going to talk about shopping. <laughs> Can't buy me love, love, love. Can't buy me love. I'll buy you a diamond ring, my friend, if it makes you feel alright. I'll get you anything, my friend, if it makes you feel alright. Well, I don't care too much for money. So I agree with you, Karen. I mean, let's just get this up front. Shopping is fun. I try not to be too consumerist, uh, and I think I have pretty simple needs, but I, I know what you mean. I just no, get that. No, you don't. You have very specific yeah, needs. You, know, <laughs> like, you buy Star Wars droids yeah. off of And I like eBay. how Chris yeah, is like, what? But, but because he buys video games all the time. Right. Constantly. You don't buy extravagant guys, No, that's the thing. Though. No, I think Colin is pretty minimalist. If you go over his place, it's pretty it's pretty Full elegantly. Well, no, I mean, Star Colin Wars. Robot. No, but it's, yeah, but that's the one thing that Colin oh, that buys. You... He doesn't even buy Star Wars figures. He just buys the droids. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. And you know, I mean, you read a lot about jokingly like, oh, I'm a shopaholic or, you know, I'm addicted to shopping. And that shopping compulsion is a real thing. I, I mean, yeah. As I was oh, saying, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. It, and for some people, you know, like, like a gambling addiction, mm-hmm. it, it can become a real yeah. problem. You like, know? like anything that feels good, you can get addicted to the, to the enjoyment yeah. that you get out of it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and you know, like researchers have shown, like you do get a little bit of a, a boost you know, mm-hmm. physiologically from, from buying and shopping. Mm-hmm. And, you know, where it becomes a problem is when you start buying things you don't need or don't use yeah. Yeah. or, even worse, things you can't afford. Yeah. 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 Did you guys know that Mary Todd Lincoln, the wife and later widow of Abraham Lincoln, mm-hmm. was a notorious <gasps> compulsive shopper? Shopaholic? Yeah. Did she order things off QVC all the time? <laughs> if they had QVC in her day, I think she, she would have been Whoa. right in there. Yeah. Like what? What did she buy? Well, I mean, what even was like there? Horses. So, like, almost, <laughs> almost right from the beginning. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, mail order horses. Yeah. No, but like, I feel like horses are expensive, and mm. you have to keep them. You know, like they're expensive mm. hobby. I don't know. Almost right from the beginning of her time in the White House. You know, so Lincoln was inaugurated the first time in 1861. Mm. She started to make her name for herself as a prolific shopper, <gasps> and and she would take trips to New York City. Uh, while she was there, you know, she would make a lot of big splashy purchases. A lot of the merch. Merchants in New York City, as you can probably imagine, are perfectly willing to extend a line of credit to the to the first lady. Uh, yeah. you know, I mean, it's it's great publicity to be able to say uh, like, "Oh, the first yeah. lady shops here," mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you assume she's good for it. She's the wife of the president. Who's going to try and cheat you out of money? Yeah. Her first sort of real big shopping trip uh, was not long after the inauguration, as I say, and a big focus of that trip was on her planned redecoration of the White House. She really wanted to redo the White House. Congress actually approved a budget of twenty thousand dollars for her to 
to spend at her discretion, you know. So this is twenty thousand dollars in eighteen sixty one. That's right. That's a good sum of money, and that's all well and good. Except she actually went over by six thousand okay. dollars. She okay. she she spent twenty six thousand dollars on yeah. rugs and china sets and decorations and faces and all this stuff, and she kind of panicked. When the bills came due. So, I mean, it turns out that not only was she a lavish shopper, but she kept her spending habits secret from Abraham Lincoln. Oh, <laughs> she was an that's addict. That's why. So th- this bill for $26,000 comes due, and uh, she asked for help from a man named Benjamin French, who was the commissioner of public buildings. Uh-huh. And she basically said to him, I need you to go to my husband and convince him to pay this bill, but don't tell him I sent you because he'll be mad. And sure enough, oh, wow. so these are from uh, Mr. French's diaries uh, about his meeting to go talk to President Lincoln. <laughs> Lincoln said it would stink in the land to have it said that an appropriation of $20,000 for furnishing the house had been overrun by the president when the poor freezing soldiers could not have blankets. And he swore he would never approve the bills for flub dubs for that damned old house. And it is a good point. You know, yeah. we're, this is a wartime economy. That's yeah. true. And, true. you know, the, it was... She couldn't take them back? No, you can't not. take them back. You can't no. take them back. There were uh, a lot of high society women uh, had pledged not to buy imported fabrics for the duration of the war. Oh, okay. And, but did this, stop the this did not stop Mary Todd Lincoln. Her spending had started to become like an election issue, a campaign issue. Oh, when yeah. Lincoln really? came back up for re-election I in bet. 1864. Yeah, you yeah. can't, you know, have this... She had a it compulsion. Looks, it looks bad to have the wife of the president yeah, spending so freely. Yeah. Oh, it was a compulsion. It really was. She was running up bills that she couldn't pay. Uh, Lincoln himself would pay out of their own pocket for anything uh. that was, you know, that they couldn't handle. So now, when he was assassinated, yeah. that was, I mean, obviously devastating to her for every reason that you would expect mm-hmm. uh, normally. Uh, and to the nation, of course, as well. After the grief of losing her husband, there was one more challenge, which is all of these bills that oh, were still dead. starting to arrive. Yeah. And she, of course, no longer had his, you know, name to kind of bail her out of trouble. Um, From a single merchant in Washington, D.C., she apparently bought 300 pairs of gloves in the span of just a few months. So, I mean, like, this is is into the territory of things that you could never hope to wear. You can't wear 300 pairs of gloves. Right. So, all told, she owed over Mm $25,000 to various merchants across the East Coast uh, after his death. Uh, Abraham Lincoln's estate, in total, was only about $75,000. Oh, my God. So, like, she was in debt to basically a third of what they had left mm-hmm. and most of that was tied up in legal proceedings for yeah. months or years so she didn't have access to this money things got a little bit dire for her actually I mean she held off her creditors as long as she could but by 1867 she was essentially reduced to trying to raise cash by selling off a lot of her fancy yeah. clothes and oh, fancy things that she had on. bought so she went to New York and tried to sort of sell clothes anonymously mm-hmm. you know the idea was she could sort of sneak into town and have like you know trunk sales or go back to some of these merchants and see if they would buy her clothes off her. It didn't go well. I mean, you know, she tried to be sneaky. She checked into a hotel under a fake name. But, you know, Mary Todd Lincoln has plastered all over her luggage and her trunks and stuff. I mean, (laughs) word got out pretty quickly, you know, because everyone is like, who is this mysterious lady, this widow? She eventually kind of fell in with a shady guy named, uh, I don't mean in a romantic way, uh, but became associated with this guy named W.H. Brady. And together they concocted a couple really poor elaborate Elaborate schemes. Oh, One involved a bizarre blackmail scheme what? where they would ask, you know, wealthy uh, high society people for money, and if they kind of didn't want to pony up the cash, they were sort of intimating they would release, you know, tales of bad things that they had done. Oh. 
he eventually convinced her to do like a public display of her clothes, like a public sort of auction, you know, like come see the clothing collection of Mary yeah. Todd Lincoln and yeah. bid Did on that it. Work? People showed up just for the sort of the spectacle but of no it. One would buy it. It didn't, it did not raise her money that she needed. No, I mean, and you know, I mean, it should be said that over her life, she had a lot of kind of anxious conditions and nervous yeah. disorders. Yeah. I mean, yeah. who knows what she would be diagnosed with today. And it seems safe to say that shopping was sort of a refuge for her in a lot of these, you know, problems. But also um, a source of stress, though. It did. Yeah. So it kind of just built into itself. So this this whole sad uh, affair in New York of her trying to sell the clothes and attempt to blackmail became known as the old clothes scandal. And it really kind of huh. tarred her name in high society circles. And she just sort of retreated from public life after a while. She died in 1882. And when she died, she left behind 60 full-size trunks packed with clothes and jewelry and various yeah. household items and all these things. And that was sort of the legacy of the stuff she couldn't afford and then later couldn't get rid of. Where did all this stuff go? Did- Some of it was sold to pay her various debts. Okay. Some of it, I'm sure, went to auction houses and antiques collectors. I've never heard of any no. of this. You really? Well, especially well, like the political part, too, where yeah. it was like, it's oh, we're war. not going to right. buy imported things. And she's like, oh, I'm just going to buy these yeah. things. Let the soldiers freeze. Like, she wasn't yeah. rational anymore. She's, yeah, yeah. I mean, she yeah. may have been a little bit of a hoarder. I mean, as I say, it yeah. sounds like she would just, it was kind of obsessive. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Your segment was kind of a downer, but, uh, <laughs> so here I have a quiz that is about luxury, um, mm. items. Get your buzzers ready. Question number one. This company's name comes from the Greek word for beauty and the name of the wife of Moses. Dana. Sephora? Yes. Sephora. Sephos is beauty in Greek, and Zephora is the wife of Moses. Sephora, the the French makeup uh, retailer. Sephora, speaking of Sephora, Sephora is one of the many brands owned by what French multinational luxury goods conglomerate? (laughs) Other brands and subsidiaries of this group include Uh De Beers Diamonds, Marc Jacobs, Belvedere Vodka, Dom Perignon Champagne, and Louis Vuitton. Wow. Just a couple. The list goes on. Wow. Oh, man. Very famous conglomerate. Yes. Yeah, I'm sure we'll know. Uh, Four letters, four abbreviated letters. Man, I feel like I know this, but I can't retrieve it. It's... What is it? LVMH, Uh, which is Louis Vuitton Moet Hennessy. Wow. So yeah, just yeah. throw a couple more high end ones in there. Yep. Yeah, a huh. lot. Uh, that's. What- I didn't know De Beers was owned by. I thought they were their own company. Man. All right. Number three. In 2011, English rapper Tiny Tempa mm-hmm. scored the first pair of special edition of Nike Air Mag for about thirty seven thousand dollars. Thirty seven thousand and five hundred dollars to be exact. Uh, these Nikes were special because they're designed to look like what? <laughs> oh, <man>. 2011. <laughs> 2011. All right, that's got to be topical. It, topical. Special edition. Look very futuristic. Oh, uh, Colin. It, it, something with like uh, like Iron Man's boots or something. Incorrect. Mm. Chris. Is it the shoes that are in Back to the Future Part Two. Yes! 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 Oh, I forgot about that. That's right. 
Right. Yep. The futuristic boots from or Nike shoes. Yeah. Right. Right. That, like, too. that were self lacing yeah. in the movies. Well, the, the shoes Nike made, the re-release, did not have the power laces, but uh, <laughs> they made replicas, and they made only fifteen hundred pairs of these, and they're all auctioned off, and uh, the proceeds went to the Michael J. Fox Foundation. Okay. 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 Uh, according to many consumer reports and consumer expert Paco Underhill, what percentage of all the things you buy in a supermarket you had no intention of buying? Oh. On average. On average? Meaning like things that you didn't walk in planning to buy. Yeah, what percentage I, of, of all the stuff? 75%. Oh, I don't think Dana, it's that guess? Everybody wants I think to like guess? 45%. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll guess right around there. I'll, I'll say 40%, but... Average? Chris is the closest, what? about 66%. Wow. Wow. So every trip to a supermarket, you come back, two-thirds of that stuff you you didn't intend okay. to buy. I thought I was overachieving in that. I was like, it's probably the, that <laughs> for me personally. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, no. yeah. Here's another price estimation question. Uh, in 2006, in England, they created the world's most expensive pie. It's traditional steak and mushroom pie, British pub food, uh-huh. which includes Wagyu beef, mm. Matsutake mushrooms, which are really, really rare and really, really expensive. Two bottles of 1982 Chateau Mouton <laughs> <laughs> Roth oh, Is that oh, like yeah, cooking yeah. wine? Black truffles and some gold leaf. Okay. okay. Some gold leaf. <laughs> some gold. You can't escape Min- the gold minimal. leaf. Right. Gold leaf is not that expensive. This right. pie serves eight. Tell me, how much did uh, it cost per slice? All right. So um, and this is what they charge at the restaurant or yes. the ingredients? A uh, charge of the like, restaurant. Okay. Bottles, I mean, the, the, the Chateau Mouton Rothschild. Yeah. yeah. I don't know my yeah. wine. Yeah. It's a fancy yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, that's a 1982 vintage. When was this made? Like a couple of years ago? 2006. Yeah. yeah. So Yeah, I mean, I mean this is going to be well into the thousands. I would, I well, would guess. I mean, per slice. slice and per slice. Oh, I was thinking like total and then what? Eight, eight slices? Yeah. Eight slices. I'll go with, I'll, I'll go with like $1,000 a slice. Uh, I'll say $700 a slice. I'll say $1,500 a slice. $1,990 per slice. All right. The whole pie is about $15,000. Yeah, the wine. I wonder if it tasted good. Probably. Uh, really probably. Good. <laughs> you think? But I don't know yeah. about, the, I mean, the wine, I, you know. $1,900 a slice. It's kind of a shame, just, though. Like, it is a shame. It. it is, it is, yeah. it is. No one, no one there certain. is going to be that jackass. Be like, yeah, it was okay. You yeah. know what I mean? If you right. spend $2,000, oh, no. you're going to say you loved it. And psychologically, yeah. that will happen, right? I mean, if, you, if you're you already paying. thinking it's going to be amazing, you, you will think it's it's amazing. Last question. So oud oil is perhaps the most expensive oil in the world. Its value is estimated as uh, 1.5 times of the value of gold. And it's sometimes referred to as liquid gold. Oud oil? Oud. O-U-D. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. What is it usually used in? Oh. oh. Well, since I've never heard of liquid it. Liquid oil. Oud oil. What is it usually used in? Yeah. Hmm. It's an ingredient for... Oh, okay. Oh, it is, for it food? is edible. It is not. It is not. Oh, okay. 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 Not food. It's I mean, a, you can't eat it, I guess. It's it an not for like not a cosmetic product? It comes from a, what the plant is called the agar, which is a type of tree. When this tree gets a type of mold infestation, the tree will start producing resin uh. to protect the tree from infestation. And this... Resin, this this sticky stuff that it produces, has really complex notes and a fragrance, oh. and it's very very rare. And this is used in some of the most expensive 
perfumes uh, in the world. Got it. I mean, we've talked about this so many times before about perfume ingredients or or things that make sense. It's always weird stuff. It's always yeah, like the animal, yeah. animal butt yeah. stuff, whale vomit, and this is like resin from like tree mold. infested, yeah, yeah. wood. Not not healthy wood. No, infested no. wood. Yeah. yeah. Well, there you go. All right. Thanks. So I went shopping the other day. It was actually at Walgreens, and I had to buy some dryer Ooh, la, la. sheets. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, I made it rain up in the Walgreens. Uh-huh. I had to buy some dryer sheets, and I went in, and they had um, two basically kinds of the unscented dryer sheets that I need. And one of them was $4.85, and the other one was $6.25. And I was like, oh, man, a $2 difference. I'll get this one over here. You know, I got the, the cheaper one. And only later did I realize, like, I'm making up those last digits because I don't even remember what the last digits were. I don't know. All I know was one of them was sort of in the $4 right. area. Yeah. The other one was sort of in the $6 area. And I had fallen victim, essentially, to the oldest retail trick in the book. It's fact of life, all, basically all over the world. You go into a store and everything is priced at. It's not priced at $3, it's $2.99. Right. It's yeah. not priced at $10, it's $9.99. And everybody understands the sort of ostensible reason why. It's because if it's Two ninety nine. Your brain sees it as being oh, like, $2. oh, it's two dollars in something sense, not as three dollars, which it, what it really is. Is that actually true? Do our brains actually do this? And if it is true, where did the practice get started? Who came up with this this evil genius scheme? It is really <laughs> um, so if you start researching this, you will come across an anecdote. And that anecdote is about Melville Stone, an old-time <laughs> newspaper, newspaper man from okay. Chicago. And in 1876, he thought that he could compete with the five-cent newspapers in Chicago by putting out a one-cent newspaper. Okay. And then he yeah. thought... I'll make sure that people have pennies in their pockets. I'll go around to the shopkeepers and I'll convince them that they should price their goods at two ninety nine instead of three dollars or ninety nine cents instead of a dollar. So their customers will leave with pennies in their pockets and, to and buy they'll spend the them newspaper. on his. Yes, exactly. Is this true? What? Sort of. Not really. It, it's a great story. It might is. be a little too good. So he yeah. did run it. You know, the guy existed and he ran a newspaper and it was one cent. Um, as Cecil Adams, a newspaper columnist who writes the column The Straight Dope, uh, which I think we've referred to in yep. previous episodes, yep. he pointed this out way back in the 90s. He was writing about this and said, uh, Stone only actually ran his paper for a couple of months. Oh. So even even if he did come up with this idea... It, it wasn't happening. It wasn't kind of in circulation long enough for right. that mm. to be the genesis of the pricing model. Also, if you go back and look at catalogs of the time, everything is priced in whole dollar increments. You know, all of the other data that we have yeah. suggests that things were still just priced in dollars, right? And it's, it, and it's actually, it's not until the 1920s, 45 years or so later, that we start to see prices using this technique and then he points out that the prices you start seeing are whatever whatever 95 Mm. not whatever whatever 99 so the story does not wash so it's kind of lost to history but people figured out that if you price it um it also i mean uh, it's lost to history probably because nobody was trumpeting from the rooftops (laughs) like hey i'm the guy (laughs) who invented this way to scam everybody (laughs) shop in my store because i figured out how to fool you (laughs) right it may simply have been price competition like you Mm -hmm. know it was the, the consumerism was sort of you know flourishing and it's like you know you you, you're selling this for three dollars i'm selling it for three dollars i can't reduce it in any meaningful way so i'll reduce it by a penny 
you know, and then maybe that's the edge I need to get you in my store because yeah. you can still buy things for a penny. But the psychological phenomenon is things. real, right? I mean, oh, like- for sure. There's a psychologist. His name is uh, Jamie Madigan. Now, a lot of people have written about this, but there was just a piece that I found from this psychologist, and he wrote an article last year about the left digit effect. And what that says is that we are just, we are biased towards the leftmost digit. Um, that has a bigger effect on us. We don't think in like exact numbers. We think in abstract and we think, oh, this is less than that. That is more than this. We mm-hmm. don't think this is precisely 375 units less than this other thing. Right. We read in America and many other countries from the left to the right. So we start reading on the left. Mm-hmm. We process that first digit, and then by the time we're reading the other digits, <laughs> our brain has already jumped out way ahead of us. <laughs> and if the item is four ninety nine, our brain is already going. This goes into the group of things that are four dollars and whatever right. before our eyes get to the ninety nine. We can know in our heads, like, oh, it's really five dollars. Doesn't matter. Lizard brain right, already right. dealt with that. It's already like just mm-hmm. subconsciously also, put in the right area. The cents sometimes show up in really tiny font than and, the, the and, big number. Yep, and, and that so increases like, oh, the okay. effect. Yeah. It increases the yeah. effect for sure. That's why you know four and the little tiny little ninety nine above it. <laughs> I like that it's called the left digit effect too, because you see it in big numbers too, right? I mean, like a car will mm-hmm. be twenty nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars and ninety. You know, it's yeah. still it's the same effect, even if it's just shifting yeah. the dollars. These days, if you go around uh, various stores, you'll actually see lots of slightly different price endings. Um, you know, the, the cents uh, figures on prices might be, they might not be 99, they might be 98, they might be 88, they might be 47, they might be 76. Yeah. A lot of stores, and this is not a secret, this is just what they do, they use uh, those digits as a way of keeping track of inventory and whether an item has been discounted right. and whether it's going to move off shelves. So, for example, if you're at Costco and you see something, you know, three ninety nine, that's their normal price. If you see something that's like three ninety seven, that is an indicator to you that that item has been discounted Discount. at some point. And if you see something that's like two eighty eight, that is like a manager special. They're trying to get rid of it. Uh-huh. So this has been chatted about all this. There's a lot of articles about like the Costco price code, how to save money. Yeah. If you're buying stuff at Costco that you don't need because <laughs> the price is ninety seven cents, which means it's a discount, which means you're saving money. You're not really saving money. You're <laughs> yes. just giving Costco more money. <laughs> but like, yeah. man, our brains suck at shopping. They're the worst. <laughs> they did a study where they gave people a catalog where everything was priced in single in, in integers in dollar increments versus things with 99 cent pricing and they said you have X amount of money to spend estimate quickly and, and tell me how many things you can afford and the people where it was priced with 99 cent pricing they they estimated that they could afford more items oh, from the catalog. So much lower. Yep. Wow. So I have a quiz for you guys about department stores, about the big old department stores. Mm-hmm. There's like seven or eight main ones that you know about. So I have some questions about their origins and maybe the founders or what they sold or where they were located yes. when they started. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. So everybody has a pad and a pen. It's multiple choice. First question. The red star on the Macy's logo. So, you know, there's like a red star and it says yeah. Macy's mm-hmm. and the apostrophe is a, is a star. Where does that come from? Is it based on a political party, a girl's name, a tattoo, or a boat? Oh. So, Colin, Karen, both say boat. Chris says a girl's name. It is based on a tattoo. Whoa! Yes. Whoa. 
Well, Never would have suspected tattoo. So, yeah. so the tattoo was was on the hand of William Hussey Macy, the founder of Macy's. Mm-hmm. His middle name is Hussey. Do you like how I had to say his middle name? I was like, well, it's worth <laughs> noting. His middle name is Hussey. Hussey. He was on a whaling ship, so it might be related to a boat, but he was like, 15 or something <laughs> when he got a red star tattoo oh. on his hand the logo is that's the cute. same tattoo yeah, that's on I his like hand it. yeah huh. sears originally sold what <laughs> we got watches shoes pants for young boys or hardware you can go always uh okay all right so colin says shoes karen says pants for boys chris says pants for kids was watches. Oh, wow. I put pants for boys because it's so specific. <laughs> it is. That's what I picked yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, Sucker yeah. the man. Yeah. Gotcha. No, I mean, well, you know, it was originally a catalog business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Before that, so Richard W. Sears was a station agent mm-hmm. at a train station, and he would he'd take deliveries from distant cities and, and deliver them. So mm-hmm. he got a big shipment of watches for a jewelry store. The, the jewelry store was like, we didn't order these. We don't want them. We're not going to sign for them. He contacted the wholesaler and was like, oh, will you sell these to me for a good price? And they were like, sure. And then he started selling them around town. He, yeah. made, he made so much money doing that. Oh, that he's like, I'm not going to be. money yeah. back in the day. Yeah, wow. he was scrappy. And yep. when you were t- saying the um, Mary Todd Lincoln story, I was like, ah, oh, she wasn't entrepreneurial enough. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. Sears would have made that work. 300 pairs of gloves? Like, all Done. of a sudden, yeah. I'll, I'll liquidate those for you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what did Bloomingdale's originally sell? Hats, hoop skirts, gloves, or flowers? Colin says hats. Karen says gloves. Chris says flowers. It was hoop skirts. Oh, <laughs> oh I really thought that was the overly no. specific. You went for the blooming and the flowers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they had a ladies' notion store. So they probably had like <laughs> some gloves, but it was the hoop skirts that got them ah. enough money. The, huh. These two brothers, um, Joseph and Lyman Bloomingdale, had got, made enough money to set up a big store. Hmm. Last question. First public demonstration of what technology was shown or was demonstrated at Selfridge's department store in London. Was it the television, the microwave, the vacuum cleaner, or the electric razor? Colin says vacuum. Karen says razor. Chris says vacuum. It was the TV. Whoa! Yeah. The first TV in Selfridges from the 1st to the 27th of April in 1925. Wow. It was early. That is really early. Yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to bring back Brainiac's Book Club, where we each pick an audio book available on Audible. I'll go first. All right. Uh, So my book is filled with a lot of facts. They just happen not to be true. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They are very tongue-in-cheek false facts. Uh, The book I am recommending is The Areas of My Expertise Ah. by John Hodgman. Oh, Uh, the funny guy. Yes. The nerdy multimedia funny guy, John Hodgman uh, from Daily Show. He was... uh, uh, PC in the Mac, PC commercials. You've probably oh, yeah, seen that's right. him. Just a mom. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yes. And so this book is sort of, it's in the style of like old style almanacs. So very firmly tongue in cheek and highfalutin language, but all fake, all totally fake. <laughs> and the audiobook is narrated by John Hodgman. Oh, good. Which I think makes it even better in his trademark dry style. That would be yeah. fun to write a fake 
almanac oh. back book. Well, so it was actually <laughs> like, the first of a trilogy. Say? He, he oh. went on to write two more. So if you like this first one, then you can uh, get started down what the path. What are some of the example so, segments? I mean, it's got everything from false histories of the nations of Europe to <laughs> Ivy League universities to, uh, as proudly touted on the cover, his list of 700 hobo names, which is one of my <laughs> favorite parts. My book choice is educational in that it takes place at a wizard school. It is. <laughs> I like how you guys are, are picking school. books that are not factual. <laughs> it is, it's not Harry Potter. It's a book by Lev Grossman called The Magicians. And it is really good. It's really, really good. It's uh, like Harry Potter and Chronicles of Narnia. Is this for kids? Facts? No, or it, young adults? it is not for kids. Probably for young adults to adults. There are sexy parts. Oh. But it's good. My, the book that I picked uh, is a book that I have read many times over the years. When I was actually in Japan, I had a professor who was a he was a Dutch guy. He lived in Japan for like decades, and he always said that his one of his favorite books about Japan that he recommended that everyone read if we had not read it was Dave Barry Does Japan. Oh. It was the, the humorist Dave Barry. He basically went to Japan for a few weeks with the intent of writing a funny book about Japan, which is what he did. It was written in the early 90s when America was just mm-hmm. fascinated with the idea of Japan, but nobody had any idea really what was going on over there. Like it was, <laughs> it was, it was four kids were taking Japanese classes and yeah. stuff like that, you know? So it was just it, fascinating, but unknown. And so Dave Barry basically went over there and just did a really remarkably good job of getting at, it was very, he was, he's a very perceptive guy. He does. Like he his, the stuff eye. that he wrote about, the, the culture clashes between Americans and Japanese was, was actually so fascinating. Like he was really going for humor and, and it is really funny. I mean, it's, it may be one of his funniest books. The great part about it is that like as a kid, knowing nothing about Japan, it was funny. Like when I read it now, knowing a lot more, it's funnier. Things that he describes, it's like, oh man, I know all about that. Got it. And so he, and he, it doesn't yeah. feel, even though it's twenty years later, it doesn't feel outdated or like a lot of his observations are still very, very on point, accurate. Right. It's really, really good. <laughs> cool. So check cool. these picks out, and of course, you can get your free audiobook download at audiblepodcast.com/slash/goodjobbrain, and we're gonna have these picks up on the site too. Everybody shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show has examined weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Hey, Matt. Did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope. Never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. 
If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here, too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. You're listening to Good Job Brain. Smooth puzzles. Smart trivia. Good Job Brain. And we're back. You're listening to Good Job Brain. This week we're talking about shopping and buying things. So... You know, when you're driving down and you're in a car, you're driving down the road, you'll see a lot of like those used car kind of lots or you'll see car dealerships. Uh-huh. And in a lot of these retail storefronts, you'll see this item. And I'm going to play a clip from Family Guy. <laughs> I, know, I know. I know. Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. Wacky waving inflatable arm flailing tube man. Hi, I'm Al Harrington, president and CEO of Al Harrington's Wacky Waving Inflatable Arm Flailing Tube Man Emporium and Warehouse. Thanks to a shipping error, I am now currently overstocked on Wacky Waving Inflatable Arm Flailing Tube Men, and I am passing the savings on to you! (laughs) (laughs) Yes, the... I, I, I can't even say wacky, wacky waving, flailing arm tube man. <laughs> Anyways, you guys know what I mean. It's yeah. like this this tube of nylon or, or whatever. It's kind of like a balloon, and there's a fan underneath pumping right. air. And also based on the the wind conditions outside, sometimes the guy looks like he's flailing and he has arms. Where did this come from? Yeah. And I couldn't even think of what the term is. Like, what do you call this thing? I think that's part of why that bit is so funny is because, you know, those wacky, waving, inflatable, flailing arm guys. What are they called? It took me just like a lot of searches just to find the generic name but I'm not even sure like what it is so and this is why I love sometimes doing good job brain research because I feel like a detective (laughs) so so I'm like kind of like finding these leads so I found that air dancers there's a (laughs) there's there's a there's a company called air dancer productions and uh, Air Dancer Productions, which is actually in the Bay Area, they state that Air Dancers has been their registered trademark since okay. March 1st, 1999. Okay. Oh, okay. Is this it? I was like, it's a trademark, but it's not a patent. Who uh-huh. invented it? So then here comes deep, deep down in the tube man hole, I guess. Trying to so find, to speak. Yeah. <laughs> trying to find the origin of the tube man. A lot of places also call them balloon guys or fly guys or sky guys or air guys. Mm-hmm. Just a lot of tons of tons of names. And then I came across this one guy and his name is Doron Gazit. And he is an artist, environment artist, does a lot of installations that deal with a lot of 
wind and air. And so he was commissioned by the Olympics in 1996, Atlanta Olympics at the ceremony uh-huh. to have some sort of inflatable guy. And when you see pictures of this, you're like, that is the inflatable mm. flailing arm <laughs> tube man. The er flailing arm tube guy. The yeah. guy. And this was in 1996. So oh, he must have okay. made it. So he made it before the air dancer company. And right. he, probably he invented before the 1996 Olympics right, to be right. used for it. And I'm, I'm guessing he didn't like copy it off of one that he saw outside his local car dealership. Exactly, right. because I found the patent. Oh, so he has okay. a patent called Apparatus and Method for Providing Inflated Undulating Figures. Ah. So in the patent, it specifically says, the figure is provided with at least two spaced apart outlets or vents to allow a continuous discharge of generally all of the air being introduced into the figure. Here's the thing. His patent has two legs. Uh-huh. Or multiple, because it says at least two space apart outlets mm. for fans. Mm. Okay. Does so, nobody have the one for one leg? Couldn't find it. I was looking in the patent library and looking for, you know, just I found the trademark for air dancers, but that's just the the name. Mm. Wow, that's a lot later. If you had asked me, I would have guessed like early nineties. Yeah. I would think when those things first started. Oh, I was up. thinking like seventy. Oh or no, I they know. definitely. I know. I never saw those as a kid. They came across sometime in the nineties, and then they were everywhere. They really are effective, though. They. Grow Grab your eye, like They're you're hilarious. Trying, you can't. I, I, I anyway. I can't help but look when I see those yeah. things. It is wacky. So there you go. Try to find the origin. I kind of have the 1996 Olympics is probably the earliest, but that's of a different. Uh, that's of a fancier, okay, better model, okay. not the cheaper model. That is interesting. Oh my gosh! You're on the side of the highway. <laughs> of course, I was like, I'm the highway in there. <laughs> So when you shop online, uh, most online retailers, they, they do a lot to kind of bring as many metaphors from real-world shopping sure. into the experience as possible. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, probably just the most obvious example of this is the shopping cart icon. Oh, yeah. If you're on Amazon uh-huh. or wherever, it's, oh, we're, you click a little shopping cart, here's all the things I might be buying, I'm right. going to check out. Especially with online shopping and online world, there's a lot of kind of metaphors of real-life yeah. things. At least we still use shopping carts. Oh, it's true. Remember, yeah, oh, I know, see. Like, it's not like, like the, the disc on the same yeah, icon. Yeah, the disc on the save icon, it's like, yeah. it's still disc. a floppy disc. Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, iTunes had to actually redo their thing because they used to have a CD. And it's like, that's a great a example. Totally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least we still use shopping carts. And everyone knows it instantly. I yeah. mean, it is it is perfectly, yep. truly iconic in that sense. Let me tell you a little bit about Sylvan Goldman. He was a supermarket owner in the 1920s, 1930s, uh, owned various stores over the years. And in the mid-30s, he was running the Humpty Dumpty supermarket <laughs> chain in Oklahoma City. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oklahoma. I've heard of this. I've heard of this. Yeah, you know, there was there was a trend was, for a while. I mean, it's, it, there was the Piggly Wiggly. That was the yeah. first one. That oh, was the first really? one. Yeah, uh, that, weird, that really fun, started cute the rhymes. You know, it's important to keep in mind that like the concept of the supermarket was a relatively new mm-hmm. modern thing. You really didn't have any sense of what a supermarket was before around about the 1920s. When you're going shopping, you would go to a lot of smaller different places. Yep. If you needed some bread, you would go to the baker and get a loaf of bread. If you needed some mm-hmm. meat, you'd go to the butcher and get your chops. And the supermarket really brought together a couple major changes to this. So mm-hmm. the most obvious one is everything's all together in one store. We yeah. got all the different departments. Mm-hmm. You know, right. We got this department, that department, one-stop shopping. More important 
importantly, was the concept of self-service. Yeah. This was a big change. This not, was a not, really... Not self-checkout. Right. But, like, you go into the old stores and, like, everything would be behind the counter. Oh, right. As I say, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yep. You'll get stuff. They would bring it to you. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Whereas opposed to in the new supermarket model, you're going down the aisles, taking things off the shelf yourself. You know, for sure, like, there were a lot of stores before that where you would help yourself. It wasn't totally a foreign concept. But you'd have your own little shopping basket. And maybe you'd bring your little handheld basket with you. Maybe they'd have one for you. But it was it was small. And it was just a few things in there that you would go and check out at the time. So back to the Humpty Dumpty chain uh, in 1930s. Sylvan Goldman noticed that a lot of his shoppers, in particular women, you know, who might be shopping with children in tow. Maybe they have a purse or a handbag already. They've got this small shopping basket. And it was an ordeal to get everything you needed in the basket, uh... carry around this new larger store with more things. And he's like, how can I improve the life of my shoppers? So he hit on the perfect idea, a cart with wheels, the shopping cart. It seems Uh, obvious now, but this was 1936, 37 when he rolled out, sorry. Uh, (laughs) No, it's good. I really, yeah. uh, When he rolled out the concept. Um, It was kind of a breakthrough. He originally called the idea the basket carrier. And if you were to see a picture of it now, you would recognize what it was. It was essentially a pair of metal wire baskets attached to a tube metal frame with wheels on it. So he drew up the plans, had some assembled, put them in the Humpty Dumpty shops, and people didn't use them. Wow. Um, It sounds like some men in particular felt it was too effeminate. Yeah. Uh, They're not lifting. Yep, yep. Uh, Even a lot of women didn't like using them. And so Goldman's like, all right, I know know this is a hit. I believe this is a great shopping experience uh, enhancer. How can I get people to use these? So one idea he had was he hired essentially like greeters, like people in there like, oh, hello, would you care to use our new uh, basket Uh carrier service? Mm -hmm. That helped a little bit. But what I think was even more brilliant idea was he hired a team of people to push the to carts. do nothing but push around uh, the shopping carts in his stores all day doing fake shopping yep. uh, carrying them around oh, mo- modeling for the other wow. shoppers oh that's how you use it yeah, and, that is so oh smart. I won't be a weirdo if I'm pushing yeah. this thing around the yeah. shop and putting items oh. into it and and the rest is history. I mean, people started using it. It was a hit. He made millions and millions of dollars on the royalties just for allowing other stores to use this idea, his patented wow. shopping cart idea, as it would eventually go on to be called. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. As shopping carts get bigger, people do buy more. That is, that is one of the things that supermarkets will do, you know, to get people to buy more stuff is just make the shopping carts bigger so you'll put more stuff in them. So let me, let me ask you guys this. What do you suppose is the average profit margin of a supermarket? Like you add all, everything they sell in a year, you know, all the money they spent to get it and then all of the, you know, overhead and everything. What percent? is the profit that is left over after everything they have to spend. Man, I bet it's either really high or really low. (laughs) So I'm not sure what a high or low number is, but Mm -hmm. I think it's low. 
Six, like, 60%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what do you, what do you suppose low is? I, I have no point of reference. Right. But, yeah, but sure, I'm like, yeah. there must be so much breakage or like spoilage. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. you break something in there, they just clean it up. Right. Things go bad all the time before, oh, you know. That's so, true. That's true. Right. I'm going to go on the high side. I'll say. I say 60. 60%. I'll say 62%. Collins is 62. All right. The average profit margin of a supermarket, uh, as, as stated by a few sources that I've found, is anywhere between 1% and 3%. Oh, okay. oh. Probably closer to 1%. <laughs> yeah. They are operating on razor, razor thin margins. Wow. Yep. The price competition on food is just so cutthroat mm. that there's just, there's no leeway. And so supermarkets, really, I mean, more than any other retail outlet, if you think about it, are highly incentivized to get you to buy more stuff. Yeah. To increase the profit margin in any way they can, but really, because because it's tough to do that, just to get you to buy more. Quantity. Because mm. 1% of a larger number is more money. You know, just like 99 cent pricing, there are tons and tons of tricks that supermarkets will oh. use to get you to buy more stuff. So the first thing that you go in, you walk into a supermarket, and you walk into the first section. What is that section? Uh, flowers and produce. Flowers and produce. Yeah. Flowers immediately. Or produce. Feeling of freshness. Feeling colors of, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know. And even if predominantly what you're going to eat that week is Funyuns and Mountain Dew, <laughs> like psychologically it's like, oh, flowers, freshness, produce. Yay. I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> now our supermarket, the, the Safeway supermarket that is close to where we are recording this episode is actually, it's laid out, you might say wrong because the produce is actually the last section of our supermarket if you if you go, you know, from the entrance. But the first section of our supermarket is expensive deli meats, oh, expensive deli. deli cheeses. When you first walk into our supermarket, and you'll see this a lot uh, these days, there's a coffee shop. Yeah. There's a Starbucks. Mm-hmm. There's tables. It's right next to the deli where they will make you a sandwich, sandwich or give you hot foods. This idea is... Come in, relax, stay a while, you know, wander in, Mm -hmm. get yourself a coffee, have your lunch here at the supermarket. Just make it an all-day thing. It's a day, yeah. 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 (laughs) They want to keep you in as long as possible, getting you buying. They They do not want you going in, just buying the stuff that you need, and coming out. That's what you want to do every time you go to the grocery store. You're like, okay, I got a plan. I'm going to go in, I'm going to buy the stuff I need, I'm going to get out. And they need to subvert that in every way possible. The staples, the things that you actually need, are going to be scattered throughout the store, and most of them in the back. When I worked in a supermarket in North Brantford, Connecticut, back in the day, at the very, very end of the supermarket, right before you got to the cash registers, last, last things were milk and eggs, and then immediately next to that was... Bread. bread. And then immediately next to that was the peanut butter and jelly, that great East Coast staple, the marshmallow fluff. <laughs> like, that was where that stuff was. It wasn't, like, in the middle with the other cooking ingredients or anything. It was milk and eggs, bread, and then the peanut butter and jelly section was right there. So all the stuff that <laughs> a small-town mom would buy was all at the end, end, end of the store. Right. When, you, when when they know they've got you, you have to buy it. You can't not buy it. You have it. to traverse through the store. You yeah. all the other stuff first. And the produce is at the end, for some reason, of our San Francisco Safeway. Maybe that's just because the clientele, like, 
you know, they're going to buy produce anyway. They don't have to be yeah. tricked into yeah. it. Maybe right. that is the destination. Mm. That is where they're trying to go. Whole Foods, too. Whole Foods. Yeah. And then all your cooking ingredients are as close to the middle as they can possibly can. So you just have to traverse the most distance. And there will be as many obstacles in your way as they can possibly put in front of you without getting too obvious like about what? it. So you have to navigate big displays stacked high full oh. of products that might not even be on sale. You know, they've just yeah. paid for that placement. Like, Pepsi has paid for there to be, like, right, a right. pyramid. A tower, like, an yeah. Aztec pyramid of Pepsi in the middle of your supermarket. And they've paid for that. They even pay for eye-level placement. The stuff that is right in your line of sight, they've paid for that to be there, those yeah. companies. That is not where the best prices are. Because the stuff that's on sale is going to be, probably it's going to be maybe even higher, Bottom. maybe lower. Bottom. The stuff that they think your kids are going to want, is it kids yeah. eye-level? For yeah. sure. So like, mom, yeah. dad, buy me this. It might be, depending on how much of a, of a, of a, of a pushover you are with your kids, it might be less expensive to just get a babysitter, leave them at home, <laughs> and do all of your shopping without them being able to see stuff. If you want to save money at the supermarket, bring your iPod and listen to fast tempo music and, like and drown out, absolutely not drown out the music that they're playing because they are playing slow tempo music in the supermarket to get you to slow down and cruise through those aisles. I believe it. I believe it. You'll just spend more time. And then of course, everybody knows that the impulse buy stuff oh. at the front, when you're waiting in line, they have turned the waiting experience into a buying experience. So you'll buy those candies, which have huge mm-hmm. markups. You will see the issue of the National Enquirer yeah. that is like, Bob well, Beyonce is pregnant <laughs> yeah. with quadruplets. And you'll you'll grab that. And, and, of course, that'll be in the middle of the issue, too. So you're flipping through it to try to find the article. <laughs> yeah. And then you, but, but then it's your turn to go. So you're, you're like, like, well, what is this? Like, $3? Yeah, I'll just buy it. I'll look it up at home. <laughs> they link this to um, decision uh, fatigue. Mm-hmm. Where your brain sometimes when you inundate it with decisions and make a decision, at yeah. the end you're just tired out. You've been making decisions this whole trip at the supermarket mm-hmm. being like, mm-hmm. this is cheaper, this is cheaper, what do I need to get? Oh, this is good, what am I going to make this week? And at the end it's like, oh, I'll get some candy. Yeah, I need a treat. treat. I I deserve a treat. treat. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. they definitely want you to feel like you have just, like, run a marathon and you're out of there. It's like, I deserve this. Yes. Milky Way Dark. I'm like, come to me, Oprah Magazine. I need your warm embrace after this. I I know. I know. Yes. Wow. And that's it for our retail shopping buying episode. Thank you guys for joining me and thank you guys listeners for listening. Hopefully you learned a lot of stuff about being duped or trying not to be duped uh, at supermarkets. <laughs> they'll get you cards, anyway. They'll get you anyways. 99 pricing, uh, wacky inflatable, flailing arm uh, man, tube, tube man, and more. And you can find us on iTunes, on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, and on our website, goodjobbrain.com, and check out our sponsor, Audible, at audiblepodcast.com slash goodjobbrain. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update. 
wherever you get your podcasts.